Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the world's first podcast aimed at supporting and empowering medical women in their careers. I'm Dr. Nuthana Bayankaram and it's my honor and joy to be your host as each week we speak to a fantastic guest who's here to help us in our careers. I'm Vice President of the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK and the voice of medical women on medical issues. Join us as each week we hear about a topic that's helpful for all of us in our careers. Hello everyone, I hope that you are all keeping well. It's that time of year again where it's time for us to welcome our new FY1 colleagues and for lots of people to be changing over, whether you're going from F1 to F2, or you're about to start specialty training, or you're within specialty training, and you're going into the next year of your training. The beginning of August signifies changeover for many of us. And last year, we did a very special episode um, on, on this topic, advice for changeover from our junior doctor members of the Medical Women's Federation. And it's one of our most popular episodes. So because it's that time of year again, we thought it'd be helpful if we reshare that episode with you. So this is a recast of the episode from last year. I hope that you enjoy it and you find it really helpful. Please do share it with colleagues. I'm sure lots of our new FY1 colleagues in particular will find this really helpful. And we will be back very soon for season four, which is very exciting. It's going to be a whole how-to series that covers a huge range of topics. So that'll be starting at the beginning of August. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I will see you again very soon. Take care. So first, let's talk about our top tips for foundation year one. I think your first day as a doctor is something that you never forget. My first day of FY1 was me doing a pre-op surgical clinic by myself. Um, I remember being absolutely terrified because I would go through the history, I'd examine the patient, and then they'd go home and nobody else would see or review the patient that day. Um, But it was also really exciting because I was finally being of use and I wasn't a spare part or I didn't feel like I was in the way, which is how I felt a lot of the time as a medical student. I think I did also tell the patients that they were the first patients that I was seeing as a doctor, um, which I'm not sure that they found that very reassuring. Um, So before we go into hearing from our junior doctors, um, I'll share the advice that we've had via social media because I think it's really, really helpful. So what people said was, remember that it's a job. It shouldn't be all that you think about and always make sure that you have things to look forward to. Never be afraid to ask for help because you don't know what you don't know. I think that's something that's really important throughout our careers. And you know, remember that nobody expects you to know everything, whether you're an FY1 or you're a consultant. No one expects you to have all of the answers. What they expect is for you to go through ABCDE, to call for help and to recognize when you need help and to ask for that help. Everybody is very happy to come and help you. Medicine is a team sport. We're all in it together. So make sure that you look after yourself and your colleagues. And unless there's an emergency, stop and take some time to eat and have a cup of tea. Everything is just much better after you do that, particularly if you need to go and do a procedure. 
never go and do it if you're really hungry and you're really dehydrated or you really need to go to the loo just take 10 minutes to look after yourself and then go and do go and do what you need to do in one of our previous episodes with um, Dr. Rachel Morris and Dr. Caroline Walker, it's episode 15, Permission to Thrive. Um, they speak about this quite a lot, about the things that you can do to really look after yourself. Um, and Caroline has this phrase where she says, you know, unless it's CPR, it can wait. So just take 10 minutes to go and have a bit of a break and you'll be a much better doctor afterwards. Um and another really helpful episode is episode eight with Zoe Blasky about being a mother to ourselves. And she really talks about how it's important for us to really look after ourselves so that we can go and do our jobs properly and look after everybody else. So um, as well as listening to the advice from our junior doctors, I would recommend listening to those two episodes as well. Hello, my name is Dr. Chelsea Jewett and I'm a specialist trainee in emergency medicine, just about to go into my ST3 year. My advice for those starting foundation training, first day of F1, is to ask questions. Um, just ask all of the questions. Everyone expects you to. Everyone expects you to want to know how the hospital works, um, where to refer, who to send what to. There's also some expectation that you are going to be expected to not know everything. Um, you know, there will be times when you're left alone on the ward, etc. But there's always someone to escalate to, always someone to talk to. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, your senior doctors. The nursing staff are going to be extremely knowledgeable. They'll know where things go, how the hospital works, who to talk to about what. So just ask questions and you know that'll help build relationships within a team and make you feel more of a team you know more a part of a team um and that is really important and it really will help get help get you through um your f1 year in particular but your training throughout hi my name is davina maru and i am a gp registrar in london and the junior doctor rep on council for the medical women's federation Congratulations in passing your medical school exams. You have made it. You are about to officially start your career. I know it can be a daunting process to transition between medical school and working as a doctor. Remember, as a FY1 doctor, you are not expected to know everything and diagnose the weird and wonderful. But a top tip is know your patient really well. Know their symptoms, their past medical history, investigations undertaken and their results, their important bloods. Your consultant will expect you to know your patient and they will advise on the management and next steps. You may be nervous when starting your new job, especially when called to see an acutely unwell patient. But remember, you have the knowledge required. You passed your exams. Just be confident and remain calm to think clearly. Go back to basics. Do your A to E assessment and assess your patient in a full and systematic way. Be thorough in your assessment and get help early. And inform your senior of your findings, what you have done and what they now require. Your senior will really appreciate that. Ensure, and ensure that you use all your resources around you in addition to the clinical examination. Look at the latest bloods, investigation findings, and look at the notes to understand why they were admitted and potential diagnosis. So best of luck for your first day. 
I know you can do it. Hello, my name is Dr. Rose Penfold, and I'm a geriatrics and general medicine registrar and an academic trainee currently based in South London. My advice to those starting FY1 would be to hang in there and also to look ahead when making your future specialty choices and decisions. I think something I, I found was that specialties in FY1 do not really reflect the reality of doing the same job as a registrar or consultant, where you're both enabled and empowered to make more critical clinical decisions on behalf of your patients. I think like many, after my foundation training, I felt a bit disillusioned by the day-to-day realities of being a, a foundation doctor and quite confused about which specialties would provide the challenge and opportunities that I craved in medicine. However, I'm so glad that I found geriatrics and that I came back to clinical medicine after a couple of years out after my foundation training. Hello, my name's Rahela Donde and I'm an ST7 in obstetrics and gynaecology coming to the end of my training. Thinking back to starting foundation year, I would say definitely take plenty of breaks, make sure you have a snack. I say plenty, take a break or two. Um, and the day should definitely allow for at least one break. And you're not expected to know it all, at all. Your training has been enough. You are safe. But always ask for help. Just don't forget that. I would say the main thing you have to brush upon before you start are your emergencies. And always remember that nurses and other healthcare professionals, such as the occupational therapists, are your friends. Keep them on side. Be polite be friendly, help them, they will help you out, they will be lifesavers. So thinking back to my first day of FY1 training, I was definitely excited and I sort of felt somewhat ready, I would say, because we had that one week of settling in before we started officially as brand new FY1s. And I was just ready to tackle it. I was really grateful to my medical school for what um, they've given me. And looking back on it, I do believe I received excellent medical training. So I'm just so grateful for that foundation. Hi, my name's Lizzie Reynolds. I'm a core surgical trainee in the Northwest, currently working at Bolton. On my first day as an FY1, I was working in a hospital where I'd been as a student. I'd been in that department before and knew some of the consultants and other people that I'd been working with. And because I'd been in the hospital, I knew the IT systems, I knew where things were. And I thought, even though I was really nervous, as everyone is before they start FY1, at least I have some advantages in knowing things and I'll be able to help other people and know how things work a little bit more. Of course, everything else that could go wrong did go wrong. So knowing some things was fine, but there was no way to really prepare myself for the first day of FY1. The emergency buzzer went off twice. One for a man with a haemoglobin of 50 from a bleeding stoma who was having bad chest pain and looked clammy and very unwell. Um, the other was a 19-year-old non-verbal patient with autism who was having a seizure and we couldn't get access on him for love nor money. But with both of these situations, I wasn't completely left by myself. I wasn't expected to be able to deal with them and manage everything completely on my own. And other people came and helped me and we got everything done and it was okay. I was on call for my first day as an FY1, which can happen. 
and can be scary. The evening of my first on-call, I remember a patient who was really complicated, had everything wrong with him. And we were just trying to get him some antibiotics. But as always happens, something had been miscommunicated, something hadn't been written in the right place. And I was worried that it was personally my responsibility um, that this patient's antibiotics had been slightly delayed. In reality, obviously, this happens all the time. Um, and it wasn't detrimental to his care. But I was sat there worried that I had done something really wrong. Um, and another colleague was there who was also on call. And she had a bit of uh, urine on her new shoes um, because a bottle had slipped. And we just sort of had that moment of joint hysteria and burst out laughing because pretty much that's all you can do. Um, I went home. It was also uh, the day before my birthday, for which I was also on call. Um, I had a big McDonald's and I psyched myself up to come back in the next day. And luckily, the days after that were not quite as mad. So even if everything is the worst on the first day of your FY1, it's not always going to be like that. There are other days that are normal, some that are nice, some that are quiet. Um, But it is pretty much your luck if you just get stuck with a bad day first of all. My advice to new FY1 starting would be that there's always someone around to ask for help, for advice. Even at the same level, everyone comes from different backgrounds, different areas, different experience and different interests. So you can learn things from each other and you'll be surprised that you know things that can help other people as well. So even if you feel like you know nothing at all, and that's really common, because you haven't had the responsibility until that moment um, of looking after patients yourself, um, you will be surprised that some things you do know and your own experiences will be useful to others as theirs will be useful to you. Another piece of advice is you won't be an expert on your first day. And if you think you're an expert on the first day, then you're not going to be safe. And the main thing is just to be safe. Um, Use the nurses and AMPs and PAs who are familiar with the environment and the ward and how things work. Um, The nurses are your best friends. They are so helpful and they will do things for you and help you out if you're able to help them out and you work nicely together and you kind of understand each other a bit more. Most people get to where they want to in the end, so don't worry too much about what kind of journey you take. You don't need to know what you want to do on your first day. If you do know what you want to do on your first day, fine, but don't worry too much about getting there. Concentrate on starting the job and getting through that hurdle first for the first couple of weeks before worrying yourself about anything in the long term. I would say that it's important to find the positive moments, like the funny things, for example, patients who have things stuck up their butt, or a really cute old lady who is really sweet and thanks you. Um, It's nice to talk about those positive moments and share positive experiences, because there are very good things to the job, that's why we do it, and that's why we keep doing it when things are tough. I think what's really important is to schedule some nice out-of-work things early on in the job in August to connect with your friends and family outside of medicine and kind of ground yourself and remind yourself that everything isn't about work. It's a job. It's not your life. 
So other advice that came up, which I think would be really helpful, is to be prepared. So know your patient, know their history, um, try and get things ready before you go around on the ward round so that you know what's happened to the patient. Another top tip is when you get asked to um, do something, like um, if you're asked to request a scan or ring and speak to somebody from another team, always check that you know exactly why you're ringing them. Or if you're requesting a scan, then know why why is it that they want to do that particular scan because when you ring the radiologist to discuss the scan they'll, they'll definitely ask you so it's always helpful if you've gone through those questions with your consultant first rather than saying um my consultant asked me to request the scan um, and when we're talking about radiology actually make sure you use the word request don't ring a radiologist and say i've ordered a scan um you don't order them about your requesting a scan that you'd like them to do so just make sure that you use the word request. That's something that I think is um, is really important. Quite a few colleagues that I've had over the years have said, oh, I got told off because I rang and said that I'd ordered a scan. Um, nobody likes it if you ring and say that you've ordered them to do something. So definitely say request. I guess those are the main things about radiology. Um, There were also some things that came through from social media about being practical. So somebody very helpfully said, buy clothes with pockets, um, which is is really good advice because you do need pockets. I think the difficulty is lots of women's clothes, particularly dresses, aren't made with pockets. I don't know why. So any dressmakers listening to this, we would like pockets because where else are we supposed to keep our bleep and our handover sheet and our pens and our snacks and our bubbles? If you're a pediatrician, um, we need pockets. So, yep, definitely get clothes with pockets. Um, And speaking speaking of snacks, somebody said, make sure that you have snacks with you, because sometimes when it is really busy, you just need to stop for a second and have have a quick snack. Someone said buy a stash of good pens uh, because it's a very small pleasure to write well. Um, I've never thought of that before, but I think that's a good one. I will go and get myself some nice pens. Somebody also said you'll never please every single person you work with, and that's okay. So be yourself, be kind to yourself. I think that's really, really important. Um, Quite a lot of people sent in advice about knowing your workplace rights. And they said, you know, this should be relevant to male as well as female trainees, um, but it would be helpful to get advice about planning a pregnancy or support during pregnancy um, or the law surrounding parental leave because we don't get taught any of this in medical school. Um, So actually, that's a really good idea for a future podcast episode. So I'll make sure that we do an episode about that. And several people said, you know, make sure you know about um, like joining the BMA um, and getting help from from them if you need it. Someone else said, you know, make sure you understand your payslip and your finances. And I think this is something that is really important because again, nobody teaches us this at medical school. So definitely read your payslip um, and have a look at all the different numbers um, and just keep track of, you know, whether your um, gross pay, your cumulative gross pay over the months is adding up to what you think it is. And make sure you speak to your colleagues just to make sure that you're all being paid the same for the same job. 
And if you do want some advice um, about managing your money, we um, we did an episode, episode seven, on managing our money with Dr. Nikki Ramskill. Nikki is a GP and she's also a money coach. Um, and she very helpfully went through the different things that we should think about when it comes to our finances. So I'd highly recommend that you listen to that episode. Quite a few people also sent in advice about workplace relations. And they said, you know, you'll be good at introducing yourself to patients, but also make sure you do it when you answer your bleep or the phone. It's a lot easier if you give your name rather than just saying, oh, hi, it's the MedReg or hi, it's the psychiatry FY1. Um, just say who you are so that they know. And also just remember that, you know, when you're ringing people, they're also human and they they might be tired or they might be hungry. Um, so just try not to take things too personally. Someone said, don't work when you're sick because it's not fair on anyone. Um, you don't want to be like giving germs to your colleagues. And also if if you're sick, you just you need to take that time off to rest. You're not going to be able to function properly. Um, people also shared that it's helpful to learn how to negotiate, um, understand what you can influence and accept that there are some things that you that you can't influence. Um, and something that just kept coming up was, you know, make time for your colleagues and just really look after each other. I think particularly in F1, my first F1 job, as I said before, was a surgical job. And the group of people that I worked with became um, became really good friends. And some of them are still my closest best friends to this day. It's It reminds me of in Harry Potter. Um, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, so apologies if you're not a big Harry Potter fan. But in the Philosopher's Stone, there's there's um, it's Halloween and the the troll comes into Hogwarts, um, and Hermione isn't actually friends with Harry and Ron at that point, but they all work together to defeat this mountain troll. And I remember this line um, at the end of that chapter that says, you know, there's some things in life that you can't go through without becoming best friends, and defeating a ten foot mountain troll is one of them. And that quote always. You know, when I was doing F1, I used to think about that quote, that there's some things in life that you can't go through without being best friends. And doing your first F1 job together is is one of those things as well. So um, definitely look after each other, make make time to to socialize with each other outside of work as well. Um, and several other tips that came through were about your portfolio. So make sure you know what the requirements are for the portfolio and when the deadlines are for things because you're going to need to take responsibility, make sure you've got all of those um, and just get used to sending people um, everything that you need for your portfolio, whether it's a team based assessment or if it's a, um, a CBD or if it's a mini Kex, um, send them across to people. Everyone's busy and your portfolio is not going to be on anybody else's, you know, at the top of anyone else's priority list, but it is an important thing for your progress. So um, just get used to having to send people reminders on the ePortfolio system, whichever one you use, because you'll be using an ePortfolio throughout your training and and we all have to keep nudging each other to do to do each other's assessments. Um, so I think that's something that's really important as well. I don't want to overwhelm you and bombard you with with lots of things, um, but I hope that's helpful for um, things about advice for F1. In terms of advice for those that are um, a bit more senior, so if they're going into um, subspecialty training or if they're becoming a registrar, um, 
several people said, oh, well, they know what they're doing, so why do they need advice? But I um, I first became a registrar in March 2020 when the pandemic hit, um, which was uh, great timing. Um, and I think it is quite scary whenever you go through a transition in medicine because it's different. Um, and as a registrar, you've got a bit more responsibility, particularly out of hours. Um, when you do your first set of nights as a registrar, it is a bit scary because that's the first time that you're kind of really in charge. And um, yes, of course, you can ring and ask your consultant for advice and for help, but they're not there in front of you seeing the patient. Um, and they can only give advice based on what you tell them over the phone. So um, so in terms of advice for registrars, what came through on social media was um remember that the book doesn't stop with you. Yes, you've got more responsibility, but don't be afraid to ask for help from your consultant. And other people said, you know, just say when you're not sure. Sometimes um, if you talk things through with a senior colleague, then you know the answer to your question. So just share the burden of difficult situations and decisions. Somebody else shared, um, when you become a registrar, you know the medicine, so try not to worry about that. But you'll have to do new things like bed managing, managing a team or juniors and doing ward rounds by yourself. So um, you will get used to those those things. Um, speak to your colleagues to try and learn what they do. And don't forget that you can always ask your consultant. And when you become a registrar, the most important decision is really, am I going to send this patient home or am I going to admit them? Because once you've admitted them, you've got all the help that you want. Um, and somebody said, you know, if I... If I would be worrying or if I'd be up in the middle of the night about, oh, I don't know if I should have sent that patient home or not, then then keep them in. You know, ultimately, you have to be able to defend your decisions. So make the decision that you feel is is the safest decision. Nobody's going to criticize you if you keep a patient in. And then, you know, a few hours later in, in the morning, if it's a night shift, um, if the consultant comes and sees them and says, this patient doesn't need to be here, they can go home. That's that's absolutely fine. Nobody's going to criticize you for that. I sometimes find that it's when I'm not doing things that that's when I want to ring and check with the consultant. If it's a child that I think is septic, that's really easy because I know what to do with them. I go through... Um, I go through taking all like the samples and giving them, you know, taking the bloods, putting cannula in, giving them antibiotics. That's fine. It's when it's a bit gray and you think actually... I don't think I need to jump in and do this stuff. That's usually when I find that I just want to ask ask for somebody else's opinion just to check that they wouldn't be jumping in and doing things. But I think it is all things that take us time and and we're always continuously learning. And even with consultants, um, you know, consultants talk to each other when they say, I'm not quite sure what to do with this patient. So I think that's something that at any stage of our careers, um, we we really need to remember. So let's hear now from our junior doctors for their advice for those who are going into subspecialty training or who are starting their first registrar job. In terms of starting specialty training, first things first, feel proud of yourselves, you've done it. Most likely it was a very competitive specialty and if not, it's something you wanted, you were committed to it and you managed to get through the several hoops that you needed to. So feel proud of yourself. Well done. Pace yourself. It's not a race to get to the end. And definitely take at least one year out. It's so important. Find out what you want to do early on. 
And it's okay if you change your mind about your specialty training. That's absolutely fine. Everything you've done up until now is still useful, still valuable. It is not a waste of time. For anyone starting specialty training, I would say that everyone comes from a different background. So I was worried when I started specialty training, I hadn't been in theatre for a year and a half. Um, I hadn't been on an on-call rotor for surgery before. I thought I was going to be useless and not know anything. But having come from the environments that I'd come in, in A&E and coming from F2 straight into surgical training, I knew some things um, that other people didn't and I had my experiences that helped me in certain situations. Whereas those people who've done an F3 and F4 in the specialty may be more familiar with certain aspects of the specialty at the start. But you will get to the place that you need to be in the end after the training is finished. So it's it's mainly about working with people to use your different backgrounds um, to learn from each other. Something that I think people should remember in specialty training is that everyone should try and work together to distribute opportunities. Sometimes it's more difficult than others um, and this can be challenging in certain specialties, surgery especially, but you will be remembered by your colleagues um, for being fair and for being nice and for working with people to try and have everyone get what they need and what they want um, rather than if you kind of bulldoze people and try and just look out for yourself, um, which can be a problem in certain specialties. It's really important to support the FY1s um, it feels good to be able to help them and impart some of your own knowledge because even if you've just gone straight through, you have got the experience of a couple of years of medicine and even just having that supportive voice and someone to, for them to bounce their ideas off and for you to get, yeah, that's not silly, that's normal, um, is really helpful for them and it does actually give you a lot of positive feedback as well. And it helps all members of the team if you can be a supportive voice for the FI1s um, and it helps the registrars and the whole team work together as well. From a portfolio point of view, know your key requirements, your absolute basics, so that it's not all left till the last minute. There are certain things that can be tricky um, for every specialty, but just concentrate on the minimum requirements and try to keep up with those so that when you're looking at more difficult things, you're not also worrying about the absolute basics. Make connections with people um, and try and keep them up if you want their help with audit and publication opportunities. If you have a really supportive registrar or a really supportive consultant in an area that you're interested in, um, then it isn't unusual for you to ask for help from them or for you to talk about different ways for getting things that you need for your portfolio and that you want going forwards. So try and keep up those connections and good relationships. In the Northwest, quite often people stay around. So if you have a good relationship with someone from a different specialty, that can pay off later on. So it's nice to just work with people and talk to people and meet and discuss as many things as you can because it might be that you're working with them in five ten years time and it creates a nicer working environment if you know and get on with people 
The main thing I would say is don't be afraid of the idea of extending training or taking time out because very few people go straight through and it's important to have a life and enjoy the ride. It's not the end of the world if you don't complete training in the absolute minimum amount of time that you're supposed to take. There are so many different reasons and it's so common. Remember that it's a job. It is not your entire life and you will get where you want to go. Almost everyone gets to where they want to go eventually. So my main advice would be to enjoy yourself, balance your life and just try and concentrate on things in little bursts and have someone to talk to when things feel a bit overwhelming. So the Medical Women's Federation is the largest body of women doctors in the UK and it's the voice of medical women on medical issues. And the reason that I know the junior doctors who have all contributed to this episode is because I've had the pleasure of meeting them all through the Medical Women's Federation. So I just wanted to take a few minutes to talk about MWF and then we'll be hearing from our junior doctors on what they've gained through being members of the Medical Women's Federation. So I think, you know, when when you are a junior doctor, um, and I guess at any stage of your training, it's always really helpful to have a network of people who are going through the same thing, who can understand what you're going through and who can offer you advice. And that's one thing I think that you know, I think my favourite part of the Medical Women's Federation is the fact that you make friendships with people who are in different specialties, different parts of the country or different parts of the UK, um, different stages of their career to you. Um, and you're all working together towards a shared goal of, you know, improving gender equity in medicine. Um, and I think that's really nice. So, um, you know, Dr. Rose Penfold, who we've heard from in this episode, we both work in different specialties and in different parts of the country. Um, I don't think we would have met each other if it wasn't for the Medical Women's Federation. Um, but Rose has become a really good friend of mine and, um, you know, like a peer-to-peer -peer mentor for me. I'm always asking Rose for advice. So I think um, I think these sorts of things are really important. So you get access to a wonderful network. Um, but also lots of opportunities for doing um, research projects, um, we have conferences twice a year where you can come and present your research or audits. So our next conference is on Friday, the 18th of November. So definitely put that in your diaries, request your study leave or annual leave now um, so that you can come along to the conference. It'll be the first in-person conference uh, since the pandemic began. So we're very, very excited and it'll be lovely to, to meet all of you in person. Um, we also have a Junior Doctor Prize, which is open at the moment. It closes on the 4th of September. So this is a prize that we have every year. And it's not something where you have to do research. It's actually a creative prize. So um, so we encourage you to get creative and do something like you can do something artistic, like a painting or making a sculpture, or you can write some prose, you can write some poetry. Um, we always have wonderful entries. I've been um, a judge for the last few years, um, even though I am a junior doctor, I don't enter it because I'm a judge. 
And it's always so wonderful to see all the amazing work that people have created. I always find it really difficult to be a judge because I just want to give everybody the prize because everyone's work is always so wonderful. Um, so definitely enter that. If you are a member of MWF, it's free. If you're not, I think it's five pounds for entry. So definitely um, enter into that as well. Um, but we've had junior doctors doing all sorts of projects as part of the Medical Women's Federation. The wonderful Dr. Chelsea Jewett, who you have heard from in this episode. Um, Chelsea did a project looking at sexism in medicine and she presented it at the joint MWF and BMA conference. And the BMA then took that on and they did um, a much wider survey looking at sexism in medicine. And Chelsea's now doing this fabulous work uh, about tackling sexism in medicine, um, surviving with scrubs, it's called. And she's she's doing amazing work and that and this all stemmed from her her doing a project and coming and presenting it at the medical women's federation conference um dr davina maru and dr rose penfold they work together with um with some more senior members of the medical women's federation to do a project uh, looking at medical women's experiences um in the workplace and they then wrote an article in that for medical woman magazine which is um, the magazine that gets sent to members of the Medical Women's Federation. And Dr. Fiza Ali, our editor, is also a junior doctor. She is a neurology registrar and she puts together two episodes, uh, two episodes, sorry, two, two volumes each year, which are absolutely fantastic. They're always so interesting to read. We've had quite a few junior doctors write in articles for Medical Woman magazine so that's something else that you can do as well. So there's um, the conferences, there's prizes, there's um, opportunities for networking. And as well as the the two conferences that happen each year, um, in each region, we have medical student reps, um, junior doctor reps uh, and council reps. Um, and we're trying to um, introduce everybody to each other in their region so that we can develop these regional networks of medical women. So I think we've got some vacancies for junior doctor reps as well. So if you're interested in that, then definitely look into applying for that. I know I'm biased, um, but I would highly recommend um, joining the Medical Women's Federation. It's I've found it to be an invaluable source of wisdom and support and advice. The conferences are fantastic. You meet so many um, incredible people who you probably otherwise wouldn't come across. Um, and it's really interesting coming and presenting your work at a multi-specialty conference because you just get so many different, you know, viewpoints and um, aspects that you probably wouldn't get if you presented it to people in your specialty because we all look at problems a bit differently when we're in different specialties. Um, so that is something that's really nice. You, yeah, you, you make really good friends. Um, and I would say just come along to our conference in November um, and see see if you like it and see if it's for you and there's so many opportunities to to develop your um, leadership skills there's lots of roles that you can apply for on council or as external rep uh, representatives um so it, it is it really is fantastic I'm um you know I'm honored to be the first junior doctor in in 105 year history of the organization to to be the vice president but it's because it's such a welcoming and supportive organization that I was able to apply and do that so um definitely look into being a member um 
and that is uh, i'm sure what uh what the other junior doctors in in the medical women's federation would say um but now let's hear from some of them for why they have found the medical women's federation to be to be a really helpful organization and why they would recommend that you also join So you'll be hearing this on the Medical Women's Federation podcast and I'm also a member of the MWF as it's known. Alongside that I'm the first Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Officer as well. So what do I do? How do I get involved? What do I gain from being a part of MWF? I would definitely say it's a network of people that have offered me advice uh, they have similar interests, but definitely um, initiative, if not interests, a similar initiative in wanting to make a difference, reach out to people and get to know others from different walks of life. Everyone I've met has amazing vision and I've definitely created some friends that will be lifelong friends. Being a part of MWF has allowed me to really grow and develop my interests. So I'm part of the UN Association Women's Advisory Council in the UK and also part of the leadership team for the Teenage Pregnancy Task Force in the Medical Women's International Association, which you are automatically a member of if you joined MWF. So really, I don't think I need to sell it anymore. Why not join? It's fantastic. Anyway, good luck, guys. Other thing I'd like to talk about is joining the MWF. And I think the most important thing that I've gained through joining the Medical Women's Federation is the network of like-minded colleagues who are also passionate about advocacy and issues affecting women in medicine. As a MWF regional representative, I surveyed members on issues affecting women in medicine, and we published our findings from this in Medical Woman magazine. I presented my research at MWF conferences, and I've also co-drafted statements on behalf of the organisation, um, which have been submitted to national bodies on issues affecting women and women's health. I think the benefits of joining the Medical Women's Federation are very clear from what I've said already, and hopefully others will outline those in this podcast also. However, in the words of the American author and disability activist Helen Keller, Alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much. I really think that by joining the organisation, you can be part of the force for change and we can make the, crit- make the critical mass to really make a difference to issues affecting women in the profession. If you're not a member of the Medical Women's Federation already, do join. We are a supportive community. There's mentorship, networking events, opportunities for bursaries, prizes, grants, and much more do have a look on the website. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. Thank you so much to our junior doctor members and also everybody who engaged on social media and sent in their really helpful advice. Um, I hope that it's helped to kind of alleviate some of the anxiety, but just remember that it is normal to feel a little bit nervous and anxious about starting FY1 or starting, you know, any new job, any transition. Um, It 
is a little bit scary because we've got to get used to um, new colleagues, a new hospital, where everything is in the hospital, um, lots of new like codes for the doors, um, practical things like, you know, being able to log into all the different computer systems. Each hospital does do things in slightly different ways. So it does take a bit of time to get used to things. So, you know, give yourself that reassurance that it is normal. Um, and remember the the top bits of advice that came up here that, you know, you need to look after yourself unless there's an emergency. It's okay for you to take a break and make sure you do take breaks. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, I've got to get all the jobs done before and before I can take a break, because then that that never happens. All the jobs never get done. Um, so just, you know, being aware that, okay, well, I, I need to look after myself and I need to take a bit of a break. Um, and don't feel guilty about when it gets to hand over. There are certain things that obviously if there's, you know, there's certain things where it wouldn't be appropriate to hand it over, but other things, you know, you're not expected to stay every evening to, to get things done. You need to be able to hand things over to your colleagues. That's what we're, that's what we're all here for. Um, so look after yourself, make sure that you, um, you know, plan things into your life to look forward to like holidays spending time with your family and friends um remember that yes you are a doctor but you're also lots of other things as well so do take the time to look after yourself as well um and overall just good luck um you are all going to be brilliant and let's just make sure that we all really look after ourselves and we look after each other as well because you know we're all we're all on the same team so if you enjoyed this episode and you think that there are other junior doctors who would find it helpful, please, please share it with them. Um, and if you have found it helpful, please do leave us a review on um, Apple Podcasts. I think that's the only one where you can actually write a review, but it really, really helps other people to know that we exist. The reason that we um, make this podcast is because we're trying to empower and support as many medical women in their careers as we possibly can. So if you can help us share this so that we can reach more and more medical women i'd be so so grateful we've got another special episode coming out in uh it'll be end of august early september and that's going to be for medical students so definitely um get in touch via social media if you've got advice that you want to share for those starting medical school or starting clinical school placements and then we will be back regularly every tuesday from september for season two which is all going to be about who, what, why. So we're going to be finding out about what does the president of a royal college do and, and, and various things like that. I'm not going to give you too much right now because I'm still in the middle of planning and um, starting to book recordings and things, um, but lots of exciting things to come up. Um, so, yep, don't forget as well, uh, conference on the 18th of November and also the Junior Doctor Prize that's open at the moment. So definitely go and check those out. And I wish you all the best of luck with changeover and your first day of FY1 or first day of being a registrar. And I hope to meet lots of you in person at the conference on Friday, the 18th of November. Good luck. You've all got this. Thank you so much for listening to the Medical Women podcast. Make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you automatically get our episodes. 
The aim of this podcast is to support and empower as many medical women in their careers as we possibly can. So please share this episode with at least one other medical woman. If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we would love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bayankaram and Ms. Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Dr. Kethki Bayankaram. Thank you so much for listening.